Drunkies are having a good time in Texas. The boys are learning how to fish, real fishing, off of a pier. Looks like little Nicky Kai got something. Um, besides sunburn, he caught a fish. And uh, Keith got him a car yesterday, uh, Friday. Yeah. If he's smiling today, it's because he's got his own wheels. Look at that boy smiling. He's turning red like a strawberry. And so Victoria's very happy too because she got some money to buy another car, which she did. She's bringing it today. She's all happy about that as well. And then um, uh, Emily Peterson is sick today, so she'll be out, not teaching her class. And then today's the first anniversary of Eric and Mari. It's been one year since they got married. Can you believe that? Oh, boy. All right, uh, let's go to Exodus, and let's turn to Exodus chapter 12. Uh, some things to pass them to you just to get us warmed up. This is just information I think is kind of interesting. What is the most used letter in the English language? There's nothing spiritual about this. This just, you know, gets you to think. What is the most used letter in the English language? Anybody know? Good guess. Samuel. Joseph. It's E. Now, how did you homeschooling boys know? All right, what's the number two letter that's the most used in the English language? Um, <laughs> it's a letter. A. A. And the third, in third place is the letter. Now, the stats say it's used only 0.196% of the time. That's little, little. That letter is... Q. Now that you know that, you're really spiritual. All right. Uh, one last thing since you're all making me feel like I want to read another one. Confetti. What is the single piece of confetti called? I know you think about this all day long. A single piece of confetti is called a... What? That's right. Homeschooling father. <laughs> Confetto is the right. Um, Keith, did you know this? I did not. Now you know. Oh boy, that is amazing. For people know. All right, let's go to Exodus chapter twelve. Uh, last Sunday, in the series of Exodus, began in oh, in August, and we're going to continue because there's so much and such good applications for us today. But the last Sunday, we looked at the lamb that was needed by the people. The lamb then was killed by the people. The lamb was eaten by the people, and the lamb's blood protected the people. So today, Exodus chapter 12. Chapter 12, and look at verses 14 through 20. Chapter 12, 14 through 20. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is instituted as a perpetual memorial for the Jewish people through all generations. From this generation of the Exodus, going forward every year, they were to observe this. It was not to be forgotten. And so that would be found in chapter 12, verses 14 to 20. But look at verse number 14. 12, 14. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. Ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. And then it gives you details, verses 15 onward. And then come to chapter 13. Chapter 13 of Exodus. And verse number 1. Uh, we need to pray for us. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be 
uh, church and bless our time together and the kids be it those who are absent for different reasons some are sick some are away some are traveling and we pray to bless them as well be with us today in this hour and the next hour we pray in jesus name amen all right chapter 13 verse number one something else goes on 13 verse number one and the lord spake unto moses saying sanctify unto me all the firstborn set them apart whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of israel both of man and of beast and moses said unto the people remember this day in which ye come out of egypt out of the house of bondage for by strength of hand the lord brought you out from this place there shall no leavened bread be eaten and so he talks about sanctifying setting apart the firstborn of every family uh several reasons why um and but i want you to see also verse number 10 before i move on uh, this ordinance verse 10 thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season from year to year so perpetual ordinance observe and dedicate the firstborn child to the lord now the, the firstborn child to the lord was special uh israel is called god's firstborn as a nation as a people and so uh the firstborn is special to god now the secondborn child the thirdborn child the fourthborn child don't think the firstborn child is so special that's pretty common in any family. Is that so? Yeah, the first one is special though. And so they were to sanctify that child to the Lord as a memorial. This is why uh, your child is special firstborn because God looked at Israel as a special child too, the firstborn. And then he was delivered, Israel was. Now go back to chapter 12 and verse 37. I'm sort of summarizing here. Verse number 37, 12, 37. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men besides children. And a mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt, and could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any victual. And so imagine this group of people men 600,000 men plus their wives plus their children and normally you would have several children in the Hebrew family and so the estimates given throughout the uh, history of books and also commentaries about two hundred uh, two million people overall that left Egypt that night after midnight what a crowd of people left all by on foot they all walked and so they spoke the Egyptians they took off and they literally ate and ran and along with them came a mixed multitude. Now, who are these mixed multitude people that came out of, with the Hebrews out of Egypt? Who is the mixed multitude? Well, it was Egyptians who saw the light. It was Egyptians who said, oh, we're not going to fight against God. Can we join you? Oh, come on, but behave yourselves and do what we do. And don't do something we would not do. And then others, maybe perhaps other slaves that came out with them, Egyptians and strangers who wanted to live all on foot, and at midnight, the question you have is, how could they see at midnight? Now, the darkest place I've been to was not the Lyric Caverns in Virginia, but in Hilo, Hawaii, at night last year. One night, so dark, and my imagination just goes a little bit funny. And uh, it's because when I was younger, watched a lot of TV shows that I shouldn't have watched because I gravitated toward, you know, uh, scary things. Um, Japanese programs, Mothra. Mothra, 
when you're in the early 60s and you're um, going to the Kanye Theater, which is now Taco which is not in there anymore, um, Giant Moth and Japanese program back in the 60s are so hilarious because they used little matchbox toy kind of things and they made cardboard clay high rises and things. It looks so fake, but when you're a kid and you have nothing else to spoil you, it's like, oh, and this giant moth comes down in slow wings. You can almost see the uh, clear strings making the wings flap. This giant moth, and then Godzilla comes out, you know, and he walks like that, steps on this cardboard high rides. It is so hilarious when you look back at that. And it's so, um, so reflective of how things have changed with uh, animation and high, high part graphics and how things look surreal now compared to back in the 60s. But I used to watch those kind of programs. And I used to watch um, uh, The Monitor, was one of them that got my attention as a kid. I used to sit in the theater like this, with my knees up on the front seat, and I'd peek over my knees like this when there's a spooky scene. I could always tell when a spooky scene was coming. You know how you can tell? There's always a close-up. Whenever there's a close-up coming, something, something spooky is gonna happen. So whenever I could get that too, I would do that. I look like that. Anyway, um, Jason and the Argonauts and all those kind of um, mythical things used to get. But uh, so when I was in this dark place in Hilo, all these things come back to my head. This is why you should be careful what you watch and what you listen to because it's stuck there in this hard drive. It's stuck in this hard drive and sometimes it comes out when you don't want it to come out. So I'm sleeping here in this dark house, no, no, no curtains, nothing and it's dark outside, it's pitch black. And I go to take a shower at two o'clock in the morning and I'm thinking, wait a minute, there's no curtains in the windows, the picture windows. There's no, win there's no, there's no nothing on the jalousies around the house. And I'm thinking, if I go and take a shower, lock, shut the door, somebody could come into that house while I'm in the shower. They might have a knife. They might have something. And I might hear a hey, there's great song, you know, and, and so I was afraid. So anyway, that's my experience of being black and dark and all that. But uh, how could they walk around through the desert in such blackness? In such blackness, pitch black. I don't think it's as black as one of the plagues, but uh, it's dark. How do you think they were able to maneuver from, from Egypt going through toward the Red Sea? What guided them? I just wonder. Well, let's take a look here. We have a clue. Uh, come over to chapter 13, verse number 20. Exodus chapter 13 and verse number 20. The question is, how could they see in such darkness? Verse 20, and they took their journey from Sukkoth and encamped at Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and lead, led them the way and by night uh -huh, in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night and he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people that's how they were able to maneuver all these people going out toward the wilderness god provided for them god is with them all the way he was with them in Egypt. He was with them after all of these centuries. He was with them. He was with them as they left Egypt. He was with them as they went into the darkness. And probably many of the people were afraid of 
how are we able to see? Our flash drive batteries already burnt out. We have no rechargeable battery, whatever, uh, but they could see because God was with them. And you learn a lesson from them already. And throughout the lesson and throughout the Exodus, you're going to find out a lot of lessons for the New Testament Christian and the New Testament church. So like as he led them by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, uh, the New Testament Christian has been given a promise as well about God's presence. The New Testament church and Christian has been given a promise about God's presence. Just like God's lived them throughout Egypt and leaving Egypt. Now, would someone find me Hebrews 13.5 real quick, please? Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.5. This is a promise that God gave to the New Testament believer and the New Testament church about how he will be with us. Hebrews 13.5. All right, somebody found that real quick. Anyone? Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. And it said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Uh -huh. That would be applicable to the Hebrew people as they left Egypt going into the wilderness in darkness, complete darkness. He was with them. And as I said, probably a lot of people were worried about how they're going to maneuver through the darkness. But the Bible says that God is with us, with them as well. And he's with us as New Testament Christians. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's a good promise. That's a good promise. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, I want you to see another verse with me. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This verse is the working out of Hebrews 13, verse number 5. He did say in verse 5 of chapter 13 of Hebrews that he would never leave us. Well, that's a promise. Is it? Carried out in someone's life? Yes, it was, and yes, it is. Second Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse number 9. Paul's in jail, and he tells Timothy, Do thy diligence to come surely unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed to Thessalonica, Christians to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Now you want to notice that Paul's friends and Paul's associates and Paul's companions, uh, Demas, of course, abandoned him. And then Luke is with him. Good Dr. Luke was very faithful with Paul. He was with him. And then he says, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me in the ministry. Interesting thing about, uh, about Mark, John Mark, once upon a time, not long ago, perhaps, he was with Paul, then he forsook Paul because of his reasons. Maybe he got into the world, maybe he got homesick, whatever the reasons was. Uh, he left him, but now time has passed, and something happened to uh, to Mark. Mark has seen the light. Mark has grown up. Mark has matured. He's uh, learned to be more faithful to the Lord, and now he has proven himself, and now uh, Paul says to Luke, bring, bring him with you, for he is profitable to me in the ministry. That just tells us that God does give people second chances. That tells us God gives people an opportunity to do the right thing. When someone fails, it's always sad for the person. The person himself who fails feels bad about that. But others feel bad about him too because he has been held up as an example of a Christian. That person has been uh, referred to in a positive way. This is the kind of Christian you gotta strive to be like and so on. And then this person has had a problem. And it seems like it's disastrous. It's he is forever uh, put on the shelf forever. But the Lord gave uh, Mark an opportunity to do the right thing again, and he did. 
Now the scripture testifies that he's profitable to me. Never think that because someone fails, it is disastrous or it's the end of the world. Never think that because it is not true. It is not true. How many chances does God give people? How many opportunities do he give Pharaoh to repent? At least nine. At least nine. How many opportunities does he give you to do the right thing? Well, I should back up by saying, how many times have you failed the Lord and God has given you another chance to do the right thing? Plenty. Uh, Spanish lingo, mucho plenty. All right, a lot of opportunities. And as you look back in your life, I think you say, well, thank God for his mercy and grace and long suffering uh, to us for because if it wasn't for the mercy and grace of God, uh, I would be in the world totally, completely right now, but he has been merciful to give me another chance. And so this is about Mark. Now look at verse number 12, uh, Tychicus, Tychicus, have us said to Ephesus, verse 13, uh, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with me, uh, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Now, in the list of good guys and bad guys, the bad guy in verse 14 is Alexander the coppersmith. You read about him in the book of Acts. And this man was horrible, and he's forever in scripture known as that for his testimony. Verse 15, of whom thou be thou aware also, for he had greatly withstood our words. And so, in passing, in this passage, verse number 15, 14 and 15, Alexander, he also uh, warns, Paul also warns about people not associating with him because he is trouble. And sometimes that's what you need. You need to be told, don't get involved with this person, don't get involved with this situation, because that is trouble. That person will not encourage you to follow Christ. Verse 16, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Verse 16 is my point. No man stood with me, all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Verse 17, notwithstanding, notwithstanding, never mind, nevertheless, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So when you think about the Hebrews going out into the wilderness and dark, the Lord was with them, just like this verse says, Hebrews 13, 5, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Here's the outworking of that verse in practice, in principle, yes, but in practice, practically, this man experienced God's presence with them. So you can bank on what the Bible says, in other words. You can believe that it is true. God's promises are true. And here you find in verses 16 and 17, God's promises is worked out in the life of the Apostle Paul when everybody abandoned him. You're never alone when God is with you. All right, let's go back to Exodus. A lot of lessons for the New Testament Christian from the book of Exodus, applications. Now, he is with, he is with us. He is with us daily by the Holy Spirit not as dramatic as a pillar of fire by night but as sure okay but as sure and along that point I like to say do not look for signs and wonders and supernatural things to help you to think that God is with you God is with you no matter what you experience as far as around you the supernatural don't always look for that as you see soft in TV God is with us because there's fire here. No, no, that happened historically with the, the Hebrews coming out. That happened then, but that, that pretty soon came to a stopping point. So he's with every believer now by the Holy Spirit living within us. And so you never have to fear him leaving you or forsaking you. He's always with you. As long as you are alive on this world, in this on this earth, he is with you until he takes you to heaven. 
until you're finally redeemed. So you never lose it, your salvation, and you never have to fear his presence not being with you. You can sometimes feel like he's not with you. How many of you ever felt like God is far from me? I think everybody has felt that. It's very rare for people to say, God is so close to me. I feel his presence so close. It's very rare people feel like that every day. Most Christians who are, I would say, normal and experience a normal life, they have their seesaw days up and down, up and down. If you don't have any seesaw days that go up and down like that, you might be just sleeping. If you're sleeping all day, you're not getting anything done. <laughs> you're just sleeping. You're not even eating. You're hiding like a bear. But most people who have a life, they go through these things. And um, it's, it's amazing how God is with you and He shows that He's with you by small things. Not by dramatic things like fire and cloud moving like that. A lot of times, um, it's kind of funny and it's almost incidental, but when, when I'm doing the Uber thing, I have to make a lot of left turns, seems like. I don't like making left turns because a lot of people park on the street and they block your vision. You gotta creep out, you gotta do that, you know, stick your head like that. You gotta really look that before you move and it's kind of not too safe. And when I have to make turns sometimes, here's what I notice. I notice no cars are coming. No cars are coming. Oh man, I gotta make the no cars are coming. And I get to go out safely. Onto the freeway or you know, four lane, whatever. And sometimes I, I I hate this. I have to go up Sierra Drive, Hill, Sierra Drive, St. Louis Heights, Ainacoa Street. You know Ainacoa Street goes like this. Watch this now. Ainacoa Street is by Ainahida, by Kahalama. Ainacoa Street goes like this. This is um Alaniani Oli. And it turns up okay, it goes like this. Yeah. <laughs> I took my wife one day to find some potted plants, flowers. Oh honey, only a dollar, only a dollar fifty. Where is it? Oh, I don't know. You know how they give the map, it's like a circle, but don't give me the exact place, but it could be a lot of air. I Aina Koa. I said, oh no, Aina Koa. Gotta go Aina. one mile, 1.5 miles up Aina Koa like that. Great view coming down. Not good on the brakes coming down. I'm driving a sandvan up there and I was thinking, oh man, I gotta come back. I'm driving all the way up there. What am I doing? Why you make me do this? Just to save one dollar? Get to the top of the year and they come back down in second year, maybe even first year. It is like a brutal experience. I come back down, I say to myself, I'm never gonna do this again to save a dollar. And then I do that for Uber. I took a picture of somebody one, one Thursday, Friday night. It was getting late. I'm not usually do late, but I was doing late this time. And uh, um, Sierra Drive, way up there. That's where Dick Trigger had to go one time for the rehab. We have, it's like that, way up there. Way, way up there. It is horrible. And then uh, <coughs> I make a drop up. I come back down. I'm saying, I'm going to go home. I'm coming. I'm going to go home. I'm going so slow coming down. Uh, and I get to the bottom. I take another call. My finger hits my phone all the back when it rings, you know, as a request. I just do that without thinking. And I think, why did I do that? Well, this one was down by King Street by um, uh, the old the old stadium. It's a pickup. I say, okay, good. Hope this is going to be. It tells you how long it's going to be, and it doesn't tell you when you get. We take the request. It doesn't tell you where you're going to pick up, where you're going to take them. You don't. It don't show where you're going to take them. Guess what happened? <laughs> Same street. <laughs> Same street within three blocks of where I just dropped up. Where I said I'm not going to do this again. Same. Uh, I was so mad at myself for doing that. No self-control with that thumb. <laughs> What's that all about now? 
about how the Lord is with you even if you don't oh, yes. realize it. Yeah, and then uh, <laughs> this past uh, Thursday, at the bus station, um, King Street bus station, this guy's is on uh, Prospect Street, and there's a, when you come up Prospect Street, you're gonna go left to right. The guy says, okay, you see that lane that goes up like that? I says, don't tell me. He says, I live in the top. He says, it's a, it's a road that goes like that. And people build houses on the sides of the hill. I don't know how they do that. But it's all crammed together. Like your teeth are growing and it's banging into each other. And I have to go up there. And he says, it's not as bad as it looks. I said, well, you're not driving. <laughs> this guy says, it's not as bad as it looks. I'm taking my pair. I'm creeping up there. He says, now we turn up, turn over here, turn over here. And then stop and then back in. He said, no, no, no. Keep going, keep going. Back up. Don't hit. And I'm saying to myself, I'm not saying something. Why am I doing this? <laughs> and then this guy has the nerve to say, don't worry, I'll give you a good tip. I said, yeah, I don't know if it's, yeah, okay. I kind of, I back out, I come down. Oh man, I come home. He didn't give me a tip. <laughs> Big liar. Anyway, I'm just saying these things happen and God always seems to be with me because he is. And with you too. And with you too. Uh, Brother Radford Wong, his son is having a real issue with himself. Got an update today on the phone. And uh, all kind of things. People, unbelievers can say, well, you're a Christian. You pray to God. How come God lets this go on? If God loves you, why does these things go on? Why didn't he prevent this from happening? Why are you folks praying now for these things? If God was with you, why did he not stop that from happening? Well, kind of a difficult question to answer, but there's an answer to that. Why did Paul go to prison even? Well, there's a reason for that too. But the fact is, the scriptures say, he is with you. He never leave you. Never forsake you. That's what it says. And Paul said in Second Timothy, God, nevertheless, the Lord is with me. Everyone can claim that because it is true. All right. So don't expect everything to be easy. But when things go bad, He's still with you. And when things go easy, because He's with you in both cases. All right. Let's keep moving on. Uh, chapter twelve of Exodus, verse number thirty-nine. Twelve thirty-nine. And they baked unleavened cakes. I want you to see that phrase in verse number 39. It was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt. They had no time for the dough to rise. They had to just take off that night. So that phrase, they were thrust out of Egypt. Now I want you to see also verse number 42 of the same chapter. It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt. Notice that. Bringing them out of the land of Egypt. And then verse number 51. It came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by the armies. So you have this thrust out, bringing them out, bringing the children out of the land. Uh, when Israel was in Egypt for 430 years, let's liken this to birth and delivery. That 430s could be compared to a time of uh, gestation when the baby's growing to be ready to be delivered. And the, the plagues are like the labor pains. And then the eventual, eventual thrusting is like delivery. So there's a parallel to, there, to that, which I never thought about until you read about these things. And you can see that it's like the nation was born all of a sudden in one night. It's like they were born. Now, it, things weren't formalized until Exodus 20 at the Mount of Sinai. But you find that uh, Israel was delivered like a child is delivered from his mother's womb. Kind of interesting. 
Well, uh, this momentous work of redemption and the blood applied to the door where they were uh, protected, uh, to Israel, God says, never forget this. Never forget this momentous event in your life. And so in 1242, in 1242, is a night to be much observed. Observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. He says, never forget what God did for you, Israel. This generation has been redeemed. But in the next generation, the children, they're prone to forget things. So teach them so that they don't forget what God did for that generation. Don't forget that. Keep passing that on. Keep it a perpetual generation year by year. Never forget that. It's such a great event. You never want to forget that. So here's another application to New Testament Christians. How does a New Testament Christian remember his greatest event in his life, which is his born again experience? How does he remember that? What does he do to remember this great event? What did they do? Passover celebration, Passover feast. Dedicate your firstborn. Every time, oh, this reminds us, children, about what God did for our forefathers several years ago. How he, and how he, so how does a Christian remember his greatest spiritual redemption? Well, very simply, uh, it could be through something as simple as uh, the hymns you sing in church, the music you hear. Music has a very powerful influence. It, the lyrics itself, it can, the music, it can draw you back to the Lord. It can cause you to remember him. Penny Crosby has written over 8,000 poems and hymns. And she was, of course, blind because of a doctor's mistake. And she was sorry when she was younger, and she wrote poems about how angry she was. But then she got over that, and the Lord helped her. And she was used to write all these great hymns that we sing in our songs, in our, in our books. Now, our book has only about 500, and there's other books that has compiled even more so. I think your church has got a great hymn book. But uh, a lot of them are found by Fanny Crosby and, uh, and others. And those kind of songs get your mind back to what is really important and what you should remember. You know that? Now, there is a song that is not a Christian song. I want to pass on to you, not by singing it, God forbid, <laughs> but by uh, just referring to it. But uh, this is a song by a, a very innocent uh, group of um, a guitar, banjo, and an upright bass guitar, and a female uh, singer. So one female and four four guys playing instruments and singing back with her. But they had a song that they performed. I don't know when it was, but probably is it in the 60s. And it was a, it's a real good song, still is. And I hear it once in a while, and it doesn't do anything to me except make me grateful for my wife. Now, how about that? Honey, don't listen. <laughs> don't have to listen to this. But the song makes you grateful for Miranda because the song is called, I'll Never Find Another You. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. It's a long, long journey, so stay by my side. When walk through the dark, you'll be my guy, be my... And it's a real good song. It's a very innocent, early 60s song. It's not about drugs. It's not about nothing. It's about finding a person that you fall in love with. And, that and it's a good song. A lot of those old songs are good songs. They have, no, they have no underlying badness to it. It's just about human experiences that are decent. And so I feel kind of bad for people who uh, are so... Well, I don't want to say this wrong, but they're so separate, so spiritual, they cannot listen to the Star Spangled Banner because it's not a Christian song. They can't listen to uh, uh, his march out the Grapes of Wrath, you know, because it's not doctrinally correct. Well, there's something good about that song anyway. You know, so you have to be kind of 
kind of balance about how you look at things and not be so extreme. So we're not talking compromise here, we're talking about compromise. We're talking about, yeah, we're talking about having some sense of, of you know, not being, not being overzealous or extreme is the word. Don't want to be extreme. Now, uh, oh, by the way, speaking about extreme, there are some people, some Christians, uh, many years ago, many years ago, she was in a, 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 a church group that was singing doo-wop. <laughs> Yeah, what was the name of the group? Women Apostolates. Oh. <laughs> and, and you, you joked and said, Women Apostates. <laughs> yeah. but, but they were doing the choreography to these new up songs, you know. Uh, he's my guy. He's so fine. You know, seeing Chris adding, you know, making the Lord. Okay, maybe you meant well, but maybe you need to get some uh, counseling before you do something like that. <laughs> you know, putting on all that stuff. And he's so fine. He's my man. And. Uh, <laughs> so that's the extreme of things. Now, um, let's look at um, chapter 13, verses 1, 2, and 3. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn. He mentioned that. Verse 3. And the Moses said unto the people, Remember this day. Remember what? In which ye came out of Egypt, which ye were delivered. Out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. There shall no and so on. Now, he's talking about remember what God did for you. Remember what God did for you. And then also remember how God did this for you. Remember what and remember how. By his strong hand he delivered you. And his strong hand was, of course, the overpowering of the false gods of Egypt through the ten plagues. And how that was such a spectacular demonstration of God's power over these heathen gods and deities. And so uh, the dedication to firstborn, and there were three reasons for that. I gave that to you. But also, I want you to think about, I want you to think about uh, the significance of remembering what God did and how he did it. And uh, he wants us to remember that once they're out, they have been separated. They have been separated. They have been separated from Egypt, separated from bondage. So they came out of to go into uh, by the by his mighty by his mighty hand. Okay, now there's something that is really good to remember about what happened historically to what happened and what will happen spiritually to the Christian, because we also have been separated. In regards to the bondage, the Pharaoh Egypt, we would say for us spiritually, bondage to sin. Now, when the Lord saved us, when He separated us from Egypt, from this world, He saved us from the power of sin. Not only that, He He broke He broke the hold of sin upon our life. Number two, He saves us from there's another P I got over here. Let me see what it is. Oh, I should do this right. Penalty is number one. He said it's not a penalty of sin. That's number one. That's number two. So no longer is the Christian subject to the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. Not possible anymore because you're saved now. And then number two, he saves us from the power of sin. Sin is very powerful. It's like a fish hook. You ever see a fish hook? Francis, fish hook. Okay? Ah, fish hook. 
kind of barbing in. That's a horrible thing to be a fish to get caught like that. And then, you know, the, the barb, uh, but sin hooks you. But the Lord saves us from the penalty of sin, no hell. He also saves us from the power that we don't have to sin as much. You potentially will sin because you have a sinful nature, but you don't sin as much. He saves us from the, the power of sin. And then finally, number three, one, two, three. One day, because of his redemption, let me spell presence. E N C E. That doesn't look right. 1907, Castle Ice He saves us from the presence of sin when he takes us to heaven. So his redemption, God's redemption for Israel was total. And God's redemption for the Christian is also total, where in three aspects, he saves us from, separates from the presence of sin as well, ultimately. And so that's a real blessing. Now, in chapter 13, verse 17, preparing to cross the Red Sea, we need to move quickly because the Egyptians are following us. <laughs> chapter 13, verse 17, preparing to cross the Red Sea. Verse number 17, and it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Now, there was an easy way to get out of Egypt into the wilderness. That was the most uh, convenient way, the easiest way. But the Lord chose a different way. He chose a hard way. He chose a hard way. He chose a way that was not convenient for them. The way that they could have gone, which would be the most simple way for human reasoning to go through, but uh, a shorter, and sometimes people have written and said that the Egyptians had trade routes along the way on the skirt, outskirts of Egypt into the other part, but uh, they didn't want to do that. And then the Philistines, of course, who would be the lifelong enemies of the Hebrews, uh, they had outposts maybe 50 miles from the Egyptian border, things like that. And so uh, God knew that if they saw the Philistines there and went boo to them, they would get all spooked and want to go back to Egypt because they were, God knew that they were not so strong. Even though all that he had done for them in the recent days, they still were not strong in spirit, strong in heart, strong in courage. They were, they had a tendency to get weak and turn back. And so they were always visual people. Whatever they saw, whatever they heard would scare them. Goliath, fee fi fo fong. And he, they were afraid of that, afraid of him. And so God knew their hearts and he took them a different route instead. They were not quite stable, not quite totally committed. And God knew how much they could handle. Isn't that true about the Christian as well? Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 very quickly, number 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It is also true that the lesson is very clear for us that sometimes the Lord does not allow us to go through something because he knows we cannot handle it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I'll go ahead and read it. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear. Several things in that verse. The one thing I want to say to you about that verse is God knows what you can handle, 
what they could handle. And he said, I'm not letting them go through that now. I'll take them another way because they can't handle this way, the easy way. I'll make them go through a more difficult way, the more inconvenient way. And sometimes the Lord allows us to go through experiences because he knows we can handle it. And sometimes he diverts us from going to that situation because he knows we cannot handle it. Works both ways. And so God does know. All right. Uh, let's see, where am I? Uh, okay. Uh, in chapter 13, verse number 19 of Exodus, 13, 19, they bring along something with them, Moses does. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he has certainly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. Now, uh, while Joseph was alive, not while he's embalmed, <laughs> while he was alive, he had faith to believe that God's going to deliver his people way before it would ever happen. And so he was embalmed, probably laid in state and not put in the ground. And so he just... He just lay there as a reminder, as a testament that he believed God's promises to deliver his people one day. And so that day came. And so Moses carried the bones of Joseph out of Egypt through the wilderness for 40 years. And then Joshua would take over and carry him across the, uh, across the Jordan into the land of Canaan. And so the promise was fulfilled. God fulfilled his promise. And uh, the commitment that they had to take his bone were also fulfilled. It's good to keep your promises. All right, uh, let's see. Come down to uh, chapter 14, verse 5. 14:5. Five. 5 through 9 tells us that Pharaoh was a very stubborn man. As they cross into, well, as they get to the brink of, as they get to the edge of the Red Sea, uh, Pharaoh has, uh, they say in sales, reneged. He has changed his mind. What did I do? I let them go. You got to be kidding me. Uh, and the word gets to him that the people have left. He says, what? Well, he gave the okay for them to leave. He changes his mind. Don't you hate when people have an agreement with you and they change their mind at the very last second? That just is very souring, you know, that they don't have the character to keep their word. Oh, chapter 5, 14, verse number 5. It was told the king of Egypt that the people fled and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants were turned against the people and they said, why have we done this? Well, because that was the right thing to do, you fools. You couldn't have any more beating that we have let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with them, 600 chosen chariots, verse 7, verse number 8. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh because his heart was already hardened. You're going to do this? Okay, I'll let you do it. And I'll encourage it. He pursued the children of Israel, verse 8, verse 9, but the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horses and so on. And they followed them into the Red Sea. Uh, and Pharaoh drew nigh, verse number 10. They marched after them. And the Hebrews cried unto the Lord. They're so afraid. Verse 11, they said unto Moses, because there was no graves in Egypt, Hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? What did they just do, the Hebrews? What did they say to Moses, their great leader? Moses, why did you bring us here only to get us taken back and treated more harshly? It's all your fault. This is the pattern of the Hebrew people in the land of Canaan, in the wilderness, always blaming their leaders. Always finding fault with them. No matter what happened that was good, no credit to them. Whatever happened that was bad, a little bit thirsty. 
no water. Let's go back to Egypt. A little bit tired of the manna. Oh, I want onions and leeks and garlic back to Egypt. No flavor. They complained so much about things when it was not pleasant. Christians can be like that too. You got to be careful that you don't get like the Hebrew Old Testament. Hebrew and complaining, gripe and murmur. Well, that's what they did. Now, uh, look at verse number 12. Is not this the word that we did tell the in Egypt saying let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians now verse 13 Moses does something very different very unusual Moses said unto the people fear not fear you not stand still and see the salvation of the Lord Moses has just done something that is just like Moses Moses is Moses is such a good man he's the meekest of all yet he had passion he had fire he had feelings and uh, here's here's Moses interceding for God's people the Hebrews to God and he's telling the people, look, calm down, calm down. Fear ye not. In other words, calm down. Stand still. Don't go straight around, run around. Don't want to go back. See the salvation of the Lord. After all that has just done for us, can you just relax and remember what he has done for us? And do you not believe that he can take care of this situation too? Yeah, they're coming. Yeah, they're coming after us. But can God also take care of them? So he has tried to still their fears. It always takes it always takes someone to do something like that or to cause trouble. Uh, that's how it always is. Well, let's quickly move on so I can finish up. What I'd like to finish up today. Uh, their fear was real, and uh, they blamed their leader. But their fear was real, and in a way, you do understand that. But still, they had such weak faith, and that's another point to say. That's why God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, because they had such weak faith. And so Moses intercedes for them, a good man. Uh, verse number 15 to 22, I'll just quickly tell you that the strong east wind came. The Lord said that it must have been a strong east wind. It must have been a very strong east wind, because it blew the water from the Red Sea apart. Well, that's one thing. But to blow it apart and then keep it apart, that's another thing. So number one, a strong east wind to blow it apart, number one. Number two, and to keep it apart. And number three, to turn that mud into dry ground overnight. That's a powerful east wind. It was so focused and so dedicated to one area, nobody else experienced the strongest wind except the water. I guess that's just to say again that God did it. Not just a natural thing that sometimes commentators try to dis. dis Say to this, this, uh, to this uh, miracles in the Bible, a natural thing only. No, well, British and the he the Hebrews almost got through, uh, and they see them coming and they're terrified. And then the uh, in here, the Egyptians are so blinded by hate and revenge. The Pharaoh, especially, he's on his chariots and on his horses, six hundred of them coming through to get recover what he thinks he's going to lose. They are so enraged as to coming through in the darkness I don't see where they and I don't see them thinking hey we're not stuck in the mud what they're going through the Red Sea and it's opened up and there's no comment here by them that hey what's going on here they're not stuck in the mud they're rolling along this they're kicking up dust that's not possible. But they're so blinded by their hate and revenge to recover that they don't even think rationally. You know when a man gets really angry, he's not thinking rationally. When a man gets really mad, he's just fired up, but he's blinded 
by rage. They call it road rage on the roads. And sometimes it carries, it begins, you know, but I'm just saying, you're so blinded by the anger, you can't even think straight. Have they thought straight, they would have said, whoa, wait a minute, uh, Pharaoh, listen, this is where, this is strange. Where's the water? This, Papa, they didn't, but when daybreak, they saw what's going on, then they got all terrified, too late. God flattened their tires. They couldn't escape. Raise your rod, Moses. Okay. Just like, ready, set, go. Do that. And when you drop your arm, Moses, the water's going to come crashing down. Now, how about that for God controlling nature? Oh, it's amazing how in the Bible you find out that God has control over everything. Even the, look, you and I could not destroy our atmosphere even if we tried to. We could not destroy this environment even if we tried to. You can send missiles out to the atmosphere, to the ionosphere, and blow it up. Okay, it'll blow up like that, maybe 10 miles. You know how big this earth is? You know how massive the atmosphere is around this globe? You and I, even if we try to, could Elon Musk could not send enough rockets up to space to blow up the atmosphere and, and destroy it. You couldn't do that. But if God wanted to, he can send fire and hail from heaven. Because <laughs> he did. Anyway, we'll stop there. Next time, we're going to get to Mir Miriam's song, and we'll keep moving on. I want to get to the tabernacle as soon as we can. All right, let's take a short break. Thank you.